God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for being here already. The worship was so sweet, and we feel your presence, Lord. And now we ask that you speak to us through your word. And God, as we get into your word, may you open our minds and hearts up to what you are telling us, God. And may we be obedient so that we can be transformed and live as we should as Christians, Lord. God, I pray that those simple this message is that you would use it to set our hearts on fire, to give us a passion for you and to live for you in every way we can. So anoint this with your Holy Spirit, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across some church bulletin bloopers, all right, mistakes that were put into the church bulletin. And it happens, even our own, we, we have put in some different um, wrong things in there, or wrong dates, or different things. But I, ca- I came across some things here. Um, first of all, this blooper says, The Sermon for Sunday Morning, and it gives the title, Jesus Walks on Water. The Sermon for Sunday Night, Searching for Jesus. Didn't really go good to get it there, huh? Some other ones here, too. Here's another one. Ladies' ministry rummage sale this Saturday. Get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. <laughs> another one. The low esteem or low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. I like this one. Bean supper Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. (laughs) Last one. This evening at 7 p.m., there will be hymn singing in the park across from the church. Bring a blanket and come prepared to sin. They forgot the G there. (laughs) Well, I was wondering about these bloopers. If the Apostle Paul were to be transported into the future, into our time, and read a bulletin like this, Maybe he would wonder, what kind of Christians are these people in the future? Well, tonight, we're going to look back into the past. And we're going to look at what kind of people the early Christians were like as we continue our study here in the book of Acts. And what they did, we're going to find, as they gathered together as a church, is going to tell us a lot about them. So, I titled... The message tonight, the early Christians in the early church. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 2, verse 43 through 47. Now we're going to see five things here tonight. Um, We're going to see that these early Christians, they form, number one, a spirit-empowered church, a very big-hearted church, a passionate-for-God church, a fellowship of joy church, and number five, a mission-minded church. So five things here we're going to be seeing in this passage. You know, it kind of smells like something's burning electrically, yeah. but we will keep going here. <laughs> so let's see number one, a spirit-empowered church. A spirit-empowered church. And we're going to be looking at verse 43 here tonight. All right. I mean, sorry. The whole passage is 43 through verse 47. Distract a little bit. But in this section, we're going to be looking at verse 43. A spirit-empowered church. So take a look with me here, verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We'll stop right there. Well, we begin with Luke, the author, writing here how all came upon every soul. Now, the word all really speaks of God's, God's presence was there. God's presence was working. It was kind of like a whoa kind of moment. Like, whoa, God is doing something here. There's no other explanation that could be going on. And then when it says every soul, it speaks both every soul saved and every unsaved soul. It's it's everyone. Everyone was noticing, was 
attentive to seeing what was going on with the work of God with the early church here. Now, if you remember in this chapter, we saw at the beginning how the Holy Spirit came upon the 120, where tongues of fire, there was mighty rushing wind, they began to speak in tongues, people began to hear their own language. And with that, it brought attention to what was going on. Then Peter then stood up, preached this powerful message through the Holy Spirit, and then 3,000 people, 3,000 souls were saved. By, uh, they gave their life to Jesus there. And so the church began at that moment. The, this was the birth of the church. And then we saw last week in verse 42 uh, how the believers were so devoted now to these things. But they were devoted to the church. And we saw the foundation principle of the church. And we saw that in verse 42. Take a look at that real quick. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we look deep into that. And I encourage you guys, if you missed it, go to our YouTube channel and watch that. Or watch it again, even if you're here and you caught it. Because I believe it's something God is trying to set within all of our hearts in the foundation of the church in our Christian walk in our Christianity. And so, as we go on into the rest of this chapter from verse 43 to 47, we see, well, what was the fruit of all that they were doing? Well, first of all, we see that everyone saw God powerfully working in the church. When the Holy Spirit came and God was working and everyone was in awe of what was going on here. You know what's interesting? John MacArthur wrote, They weren't awed by the church because of its buildings, programs, or anything reflecting, listen, human ability, but by the supernatural character of its life, the life of the church. And I love that because we want to focus in on that. We want to put our minds on that right now, that it's not about the building. The church isn't about the building or its programs or, 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 or even me, the pastor. It's about believers. You know what? Gathering together and God working through believers. God working through the pastor. God working through you and I as a body. Remember, the church isn't a building. So God doesn't work in a building. God works through the people. And that's what we want to keep in mind as we look at this passage and even connecting it to last week, that it's God doing this. It's the Holy Spirit and it's the people, it's the believers together who are living this life. And that's why I focused on our title, which is usually our, always our theme, and that is the early Christians in the early church. I wanted you to really key in on that. All right, so... Thus, we see here, everyone saw God powerfully working in the church. And then we see in the rest of verse 42, and they, uh, I'm sorry, verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So God powerfully worked through the apostles with wonders and signs. Now, if we, it's all talking about miracles. But if we really uh, uh, separate it out, wonders speak about miracles that cause that awe. There's just, it's plainly miracles like, whoa, miracles happening. Signs are miracles that indicate something. They point to something. So miracles was basically like to attract attention. Like when the, the tongues, when the people are talking in the languages, it attracted everyone who were in Jerusalem in the celebration of Pentecost at that time, to come in and to, to, to come to them and see what's going on. It was a miracle going on. And then also, it was a sign. See, mir the miracles was to attract attention, then point to the truth of the gospel. To validate the apostles were messengers of God. To validate that what they gave was a message from God. And that you know what? The message of Jesus means they're truly saved. Now, take note here at this moment that some say 
that the gift of miracles is no more, that it's, that it's no longer, that we, we, there, there's no need for miracles. I mean, because the apostles spoke the Word of God, now we have the Word of God in our Bibles, and so we don't need those signs and miracles. The Bible is complete. But I differ in what I see, what have I've experienced, that there still are miracles, that people are still being healed, that God still provides, that God still changes lives and works miracles, answers prayer, that, you know what, the Holy Spirit is still around. So we got to believe that, we got to understand that, and that's what I see. All right, so it was here, the early church it was here in the early church. It was a Spirit-empowered church. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon the church and upon the people, and the Spirit was moving. So it was a Spirit-empowered church. I was thinking about how years ago, uh, Pastor Raul Reese of Calvary Chapel, Diamond Bar, California, uh, all of a sudden, one Wednesday night, uh, I think it was during service even, or right after service, or during service. For the first time, he experienced like these flashbacks from the Vietnam War. He was a soldier in that. He thought that, oh, that his ministry was over. It was, it was just too much for him. It overwhelmed him. He couldn't function. His family prayed for him. But then Pastor Chuck came and prayed for him, and he was healed. And since 2007, it never happened again. I believe God heals. I believe miracles are, are being done still by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still around. And still even here in our church, we're a Spirit-empowered church. It's nothing that we do on our own. Um, God anoints the worship. God anoints the Word. God who does that. Now you might not hear or see like major miracles like we read about here in the book of Acts. But it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Maybe we just don't hear about it. Maybe it's not as super major. Some of the miracles we see here were pretty crazy major. But people are still being healed. Prayers are still being answered. Lives are still being changed. The Holy Spirit is still speaking through the Word, through us. And to me, that's a miracle. And so... Just as it was back then, a Spirit-empowered church, so we have a Spirit-empowered church. Today, the Holy Spirit is still here working in churches. So, the early Christians in the early church, they formed a Spirit-empowered church. Let's go on to number two here. The second thing we see here is a very big-hearted church. A very big-hearted church. Uh, here we're going to look at verse 44 and 45. Take a look with me here. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, and it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, all the believers, basically it's talking about here, they're sharing things. They're, they're together like one family. That's what the idea here, when it says in verse 44, all who believe were together and had all things in common. All things in common, they're like one family. You know, like a family, we share things in our household. You know, in our family, we share our food and what we eat and, and, and everything, what we sit on, you know, all our needs and things like that. And sometimes we even share our cars and everything like that. Well, that's the idea here. It speaks of how the believers were sharing their resources, not hoarding it, but helping each other out. Somebody's talking to me. Sorry, Siri. <laughs> All kinds of things happening tonight, isn't it? But I will go on. So they were sharing together. Now think about this. Remember, Chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, it was the celebration of Pentecost. There was thousands and millions of Jews in town. And remember, 3,000 Jews got saved hearing the gospel from Peter. 
And so they, these Jews have traveled from all around to Jerusalem, and, and I think a lot stayed longer. So they had needs, right, to be met. They stayed longer there. Maybe they resettled there. So the local Christians helped out by giving to them, sharing maybe food and their lodging and helping them with some money and, and anything else that they needed. So that's what it means. They were all things in common. They're like one family, so they're trying to help each other in that way. Even to the point we read here in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds or the money that they made uh, to anyone who had need. Now, this does not mean that they sold everything and lived in a commune. That's not what was written here. That's not what it's saying. They're, they're saying, look, um, whatever that they could help out with, that's what they did. If they could sell a pot, if they sell this thing, one of their possessions, then they could take that money, help someone out. Uh, people still at homes. They still met in homes, as we talked about last week. We're going to see in here. Uh, uh, maybe some people lost their jobs because of their faith, and so they're helping them financially. They're taking care of those who are poor. It was just that kind of idea going on. We're going to see later with Ananias and Sapphira that uh, it was volunteer even. It wasn't forced. It wasn't like a communistic thing. No, if someone wanted to sell, if they wanted to, to give, it was voluntary. They weren't forced. It all came from the goodness of their heart for all believers to take care of each other. So early Christians were generous. They were a loving people. That's what we're seeing come out here. They made up a very big-hearted church. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what they were showing with their big heart. They're very giving. They weren't hoarding. They weren't drawing any lines like, well, <clears throat> you come from a different country. Oh, I'm not going to give to you. Oh, you're not a local Jerusalemite here. Oh, I'm, I'm going to put a little fence and kind of watch you. No, it wasn't that. They, they were... Brothers and sisters in the Lord, no matter where they came from, and all believers were together. And God gave them a loving heart, a giving heart, a sharing heart, a generous heart. They were a very big-hearted church. You know, a few years back, I remember a family came and showed up here at the church and attended for a while. And then as people began to hear of their need, you know, many of you gave things to them, gave your money, gave groceries, gave things, gave provisions. And I remember the father saying, well, I've never been to a church like this before. They were shown a lot of love. And I like that. I think this is one of many ways to show love. Love to one another as believers, and that's to give, to share. And I think if you really want to show that love, if you want, really want to show you have that big heart, then you know what? Sell something and give that to someone, the money, the proceeds to someone in need. Sometimes we revert back to our stinginess. Sometimes we drift spiritually in this area. Maybe that's you tonight. Are you like the stingy type? God is changing us into what we're seeing here. The early Christians were like this, and so we should be. Let the Spirit guide you as a new creation, as this new person in Christ, to give, to provide, to sacrifice, and give to those to share with those who are struggling. Besides that, would you think about it this way? What you've been given already really belongs to God, doesn't it? He just made you a steward of those things, a manager. So we should be open to whatever God would like us to do, even if it means that we would have less so that someone could be blessed. So we see the early Christians in the early church, they, were, they had a very big heart. They were a very big-hearted church, a spirit-empowered church. And now number three, a passionate for God church. 
a passionate for God church. And I, I really like this. It's just a little part in our passage here, verse 46 in just the first part of Acts chapter 2. And take a look, it says here, And day by day, attending the temple together. And we'll just take that part in this section. So next here, Luke tells us that the believers were day by day. That means daily, every day. Yeah, They were what? Daily where? In the temple. And what were we talking about? The Jewish temple. The temple that's in Jerusalem. The main temple. Now remember, these people, the 3,000 who got saved, they were here for the celebration of Pentecost. And they got saved through Peter's preaching. So these are Jewish guys. These are Jewish people who came to celebrate Pentecost. And so these Jewish ones turned to Christians. They became saved in Jesus Christ. And with that, they could see that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That he's the Messiah. And so they continued to go to the Jewish temple. They continued to go and meet with God over there. Now, a lot of commentators, uh, they kind of put in their different things. I'm going to put it all together. And they probably met there in the portico um, outside the temple in the Gentile court are these porches, uh, these covered areas where many times the rabbis would meet with students and teach them there. And, and, and so most likely... Uh, the, these Christians now, they met in the portico, in this porches, in this temple area to meet with the apostles. Maybe the apostles had Bible study there. They would meet, we will see in the next chapter, Peter and John went to pray. They would meet to pray there. They, they, they probably went and worshiped God, sought God out there. And, and so with that in mind, they were basically, quote-unquote, going to church. They are having church. They're at the Jewish temple, and it was day by day or daily. Notice that. Notice how these early Christians were so passionate for God, for Jesus. So these people we see here in the book of Acts, these believers made this early church a passionate-for-God kind of church. And that's what we're seeing, this third thing. They made this a passionate-for-God church. You know, I was thinking about that. When I first came to Christ, you know, and I, I really got my life together for the Lord, and I just totally went out for God, you know, I couldn't be at church enough. I remember Monday night was uh, Greg Laurie. He was teaching a Monday night study there and did some evangelism there. I remember Tuesday night was uh, the School of the Bible, and I would take different classes from different pastors there. Wednesday night, I was, I was 14, 15, so was youth group. Wednesday was actually a separate night for the youth. Wednesday was youth group. There was about 200 kids, 200 youth there. It was a very large church at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Thursday was the midweek Bible study with Pastor Chuck that he taught. On Friday, we, I, I would get together with some of the youth, and we actually go witnessing. But during the summer, um, there, were, uh, there were some series the church would put on. They actually play Christian movies. And you could go to these Christian movies, and then someone would come up and share the gospel. On Saturday morning uh, was the Musicians Fellowship. I remember going to that. Saturday night was the outreach concerts with live bands and all. And then Sunday morning... Um, there was a church, uh, Pastor Chuck, regular Sunday service, and then on another service, I'll go to youth group. And then Sunday night, it would be Pastor Chuck uh, also teaching through the Bible on Sunday night. So I, I was there as much as I can, just about every day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, Saturday, Sunday, again, all the way around. Now, of course, life has changed, <laughs> And all, but that I remember that period of a time and just how you know, just being flooded and inputted with the word of God and Jesus and the people and being with the people. I'll tell you, it, it does something to you on the inside, it does, it does really set a fire uh, upon you. 
Now today, yeah, life has changed, but I still love to spend time with the Lord daily. I love spending time with my wife. I love coming to church still. I, I love it. Even if I'm not a pastor or not teaching here, I don't come here just to teach. I come here because I want to be with Jesus. I want to worship the Lord. I would still be here. Let me ask you tonight. Maybe you're connected online. Where is your passion for Jesus? Where is that kind of hunger and passion? Has it cooled down? You know, I think sometimes we get more concerned about the building. Not, and, and not getting together to meet with God. Sometimes we're more concerned like, well, I don't know if I can sit because I don't know if the chair is comfortable enough. Or I'm, I'm not sure if this is a church. I remember one time when we were meeting in the school, at Kalama School, there someone came up, basically was telling me, oh, this isn't a real church because you don't have a building. You know, sometimes we get so locked into the building or how convenient it is for us to come to church. I know some people, if it's raining, oh, I don't know, I don't think I'll go. I mean, I, I, where, where is that? What happened to our passion for things, yeah? For reason to come to church, and it's for Jesus. Not what's convenient for us, not if it pleases us. That's really self-seeking. You know, when Queen Elizabeth II passed away, you remember just recently, right? It was reported, I don't know if you remember seeing this on the news, that the soccer star, David Beckham, he stood in line to pay his respects. For 12 hours, he stood in line. 12 hours. He said that he got in line at 2 a.m. in the morning thinking that, well, you know, no one will be there. The line will be a lot shorter. But I guess everyone else thought the same. But he, was, he stood in line 12 hours from 2 a.m. in the morning. He said that he wanted to celebrate what Her Majesty has done for us. I was thinking, wow, he did that for the Queen. What do we do for Jesus? Where's our passion? Where's our effort that we make? I mean, think about how we see in the news sometimes, you know, how people have stood in long lines to buy that latest iPhone, right? Or a video game that's coming out. It doesn't matter how inconvenient that is, right? It doesn't matter you're camping out where? On the sidewalk? On the street with cars going by? No, because you have that passion. You need to get that phone. You need to get that game. You want it. How about us, though? Do we want Jesus like that? Are we passionate in that way? These guys, day by day, every day, they were there seeking God. They were there in the temple. They went to what they knew as God, to meet God there in the temple. Where are we? Or are we easily diverted? Are we easily distracted? Are we self-seeking? Or are we like totally out for God? I guess the question would be, what is your master passion? What is it that, that drives you? What is it that takes up most of your mind? heart and effort what is it that you're willing to sacrifice put yourself aside what is it what is that thing is it God is it Jesus or is it something else I think these early Christians really put us to shame and for me just to see day by day attending the temple together that says so much there. The early Christians in the early church, they, they, they formed a passionate for God kind of church. All right, we've seen a spirit-empowered church, a very big-hearted church, a passionate for God church, and now we come to number four, a fellowship of joy church. And this is a, we're going to see this in the second part of verse 46 and the first part of verse 47. So it goes on in verse 46, it says, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Now, Luke goes on to write how the early Christians were breaking bread in their homes. So see, people still old homes. It wasn't like they um, 
you know, sold it all, went into this commune. No, um, they, they broke up into homes. I feel like that maybe they all met in the temple, but then when they went to eat and fellowship, they broke up into different homes, maybe with, as I mentioned last week, with maybe one of the apostles leading this. And as we learned last week, remember breaking bread speaks of, of eating a meal and partaking in communion. That's really it's talking about, remembering and honor Christ's sacrifice, as we saw last week. So these guys, they were breaking bread, partaking in communion homes. They broke up, they went in, and they were fellowshipping together in that way. Uh, and it says here, they did it with glad and generous hearts. That's how they shared their meal together. They were glad, they were full of joy, and they were generous as they shared their meal together. They gave to one another. In other words, the church potluck was totally filled with happiness, with joy. Everyone gladly brought their food. Everyone wanted to share together as we saw uh, in the very big-hearted church section. So they were filled with joy. These, these gatherings in the homes were spirit-filled, food-filled, joy-filled kind of time. I like something, First Peter 4, 9, it says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That wasn't them. They were filled with joy. And all that joy really brought all the believers together praising God. So they're filled with joy, a joy in the Lord praising Him. Believers, think about this. They were one family. They were sharing together, spirit-filled, experiencing a powerful move of God in the miracles. They, they, they were loving one another and they're sharing, all passionate for Jesus. So now in this fellowship in a home, there was all this joy overflowing and pouring out from that home, which brought all this worship. I mean, how could those in fellowship even hold back the joy? This was a great time. There was so much to praise God about and be so joyful about. So when they got together, there was a lot of joy happening. These early Christians together formed this church, a fellowship of joy kind of church. A fellowship of joy church. You know what I was thinking in contrast? Sometimes it's hard when families get together for Christmas. These holidays can be a hard time, whether it's Thanksgiving or, or Christmas or maybe a New Year's uh, get-together. Sometimes it's hard because you got to deal with family. you got to deal with those there. And, and you're, you're not pleased with You've been hurt by them. And so getting together, you're supposed to do it, kind of makes it awkward. But something was going on here. Remember, these are people from all around. People from northern Jerusalem and southern Jerusalem. And they didn't always get along. People from different countries. They were all coming together, the church. And even Women, men and women together, we've been reading about how God was changing the dynamic of the social order. We've been reading about that and studying that in First Peter. God wiped out any divisions and the people's heart were full of grace and forgiveness and love. And they got together and what was their joy because this was all for God. Sometimes though, some come to church, and it's awkward because we focus about people. We focus about, oh, what that person is or what that person did or did to me. And sometimes it, it can be hard and steal that joy that we're supposed to have. But remember, we need to forgive. We need to give grace, not hinder the spirit, or else we'll miss out on that joy that comes in fellowship. We should come into church with, with that in mind, that no matter who's here, the love of God 
should be flooding our hearts so that we could love one another. That, that God loves them too. And God loves all of us. And we're all sinners coming together, forgiven by Jesus. That we should put our differences, our grievances, our hurts at the foot of the cross and come together as a family, as a body. A Fred Catherwood said, the church should be a community of encouragement. I like that. Listen, what I'm trying to say is that you can make the church a church like this, a fellowship of joy. You and I, remember the church isn't a building. A church isn't some program or organization. It's the people of God, it's believers coming together. And what a church is, 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 is what the people are. And if we all come in grumbling, like Peter said, don't, you know, grumble here. If we come in all like, hmm, kind of like that, it, it'll give that kind of air. But if we come in filled with the Spirit, full of, full of love, you and I, we can make it what God wants to make it. I remember a long, long time ago, someone called me and said, oh, that, this, your, the church here isn't loving. And I was thinking... Gosh, I I was I know the most what I experience is the most loving church, you know, that I've been in. And I was thinking, oh, but you know what? That person who complained to me isn't loving. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, maybe that's the filter, yeah. Since they aren't, they and they're they're like, mm, I don't like this, that, you know. They're making it that way. But if you look at what's going on here. They were glad. They were coming together. They were praising God. They're full of joy. See, you and I, in the Spirit, can make the church what it's supposed to be. Because the church is made up of people. So these early Christians together formed this church, a fellowship of joy kind of church. So the early Christians in the early church, they formed a spirit-empowered church, a big-hearted church, a passionate for God Church, a Fellowship of Joy Church, and now our last heading, our last thing that we see, a mission-minded church. And this is the last part of verse 47. It reads here, And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we come to the end of the chapter here, and we end here how the early Christians found favor with all the people. In other words, everyone around them, whether it's believers or probably most likely it's talking about everyone in Jerusalem was hearing about this. The unsaved, the Jewish people who didn't come to Christ, they began to hear about what's going on. They began to meet and talk to these Christians. They, they found favor. They were impressed by these believers and looked at them in a favorable way. That, that's the idea. They, oh, I like that person. Oh, wow. And they, these believers started to impact these unbelievers. I mean, think about this. The Holy Spirit is upon them. There's God working. There's miracles happening they're hearing about. They have this passion for Jesus. You can feel it. You can hear it. You can see it in their eyes. They have this fire for God that even these Jewish guys here for the celebration didn't really have. They're more into a ritual, but these guys love God with a passion. And so they were filled with this joy, like this, wow, you're really happy. Wow, you're, you have this joy. So you can imagine how it impacted the people in Jerusalem in a positive way. So much so, that it was a witness. So much so, it says, and the Lord added to their number, to the saved, to that 3,000, day by day, daily, those who were being saved. God saved people every day. So the Lord used these early Christians in the way they lived, the way they conducted themselves, spirit-filled, the, the, who they were now in Christ. It brought people to the Lord and the fellowship grew. And so what I see here is that the believers, they were mindful of how important it was to share Jesus. 
to shine the light. I mean, they themselves, right, has found Jesus. Jesus saved them. They found salvation. Their guilt has been lifted. The Spirit has come in. They have this relationship with God, and they were excited. I mean, aren't you excited about Christ? Or remember when you first came to Christ, maybe in a bad way, you went and went to everyone and got down on anybody who didn't, who wasn't excited for Christ, right? But there was that fire for Jesus that, oh, you need Jesus to share Jesus, to want people to know Jesus. So these believers are mindful of their witness to the lost world. So these early Christians, they lived these godly lives for, you know what, they were a mission-minded church. A mission-minded church. I want to read to you, this is taken from an ancient letter from the second century by this philosopher uh, Aristides. Uh, and in the letter, this is just portions of his letter uh, to the emperor, but he's, he wrote this. Now the Christians, O king, he went on to say, they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth. From him they receive those commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observe in the hope and expectation of the world to come. He goes on to write, For this reason they do not commit adultery or immorality. They do not bear false witnesses or embezzle, nor do they covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother and do good to those who are their neighbors. Whenever they are judges, they judge uprightly. He also wrote, They refuse to worship strange gods, and they go their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored, and they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has gives to him who has not ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. Isn't that interesting? This is an unsaved person writing to the king in their observation of these believers. Isn't that amazing to think and see and get a picture? What amazing witness these were. How pure they were, how true they were, how bright was their light for Jesus. And that's the kind of light we should have. We should be mission-minded that as we live here on this earth, as we gather together for church, as our passion is for Jesus to be with God's people, to, to see the work of God go on, to, to be spirit-filled, to share, to help each other, to, to operate in this way together as believers, we should understand that, that that's a witness. And we should have a mind for mission. Sometimes you, you hear the word missions and you think, oh, well, I, I don't know if I'm called to go to a foreign country. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I remember reading a book once that they said that all the believers, the apostles and, and all the believers here in the book of Acts, they were thought themselves as missionaries, even though they're going to Jerusalem or Samaria or the other parts of the earth. Listen, our mission is around us all the time, at work, in our neighborhood, at school. As soon as we step out the doors of this church, we're on the mission field. And we have to understand that we are on a mission, every one of us, to shine the light of Christ. So what kind of light do you shine? What is, is it dim? Is it a bulb barely on? Are you like a burnt out light bulb on, on our Christmas lights outside? There's one, I always see one of the, the lights kind of not on, and the other ones are on, but this one isn't. Are, is that like you, like in a church? Everyone else is all lit and bright, but this one's off. We should, we should all be on shining that light. 
I'm going to close with some thoughts here. If Remember, you and I, we make up this church. The church is made up of people, not the building. And as we gather together in unity, each one of us, as building blocks of this church, if each one of us is shining that light, then this, shine, this church is going to burn bright, right? If, if each one of us share and is generous, then the church is generous and loving. If, if, if each one of us comes in with joy and love for one another, then the church is joyful and loving. If each one of us is passionate for Jesus and we come together, and together we're like, wow, we're, we're singing, we're, we're seeking God, we're excited about Jesus in our conversation, then the church is excited, is passionate for God. Maybe whatever, wherever church you go to, if you're online, or maybe we're critical of the church, and yeah, we're not perfect. <laughs> but could it be your criticism of what's wrong? Could be because of you? Because maybe you need to step up in what you're critical about. Perhaps it's a lack of commitment. You know, you and I, God is calling us to these things. What we saw last week, what we're seeing tonight, that we want to be like these early Christians. People say, oh yeah, we got to get back to the, the church in Acts, the spirit-filled church. Yes, we do. And how do we do that? we got to be those people, those believers in the church. That's how it happens. So we have to make this commitment to be together, to be in fellowship, to be in church, to seek God with a passion we got to be like these early Christians, day by day. I love that. I'll close with this. <coughs> the, the preacher, pastor, author Vance Havner once wrote about his father and his commitment to church. And to me, it's to live like who we saw in, in our passage today. This is what Vance Havner wrote. My father was faithful to the house of God when he felt like it and when he did it. When the preaching was good and when it wasn't, my father was there. Whether the weather be good or whether the weather be hot, whether the weather be cold or whether the weather be not, <laughs> whatever the weather, he weathered the weather, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> I love that. I mean, he's just talking about weather. But I'm talking about everything. What we like, what we don't like maybe in church, what we wish was there, what, what, what isn't there, or what, what, what is there. Whatever it is, we should be here because this is what God wants us to do. This is true Christian devotion to God, to his church. And this was the early Christians in the early church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord. It stirs me up to think about the believers here. God, if we could transport ourselves all back in time and, and be there among the people, the believers, to see what we read tonight and what we saw last week, studied last week, and, and to see it being lived out. Oh, God, what, what a... What an inspiration it would be, Lord! We would we would just we'd be set on fire, Lord. We will want to come back home and bring that fire here. But Lord, that's exactly what you want us to do. That's exactly what we did. We have been transported in time to to see and study what these Christians were like. And so, God, now we want to take what we learned and saw. And we want to put it into our lives that you may set us on fire, God. That, that we may see all that you've done for us, God. That all that you're doing and the work of your spirit, Lord, you want to do inside us. God, it's not 
the pastor doing it for us. It's not, oh, that Christian over there needs to do it or, or the assistant pastor or the leaders, but it's every single believer in the church needs to be doing this. This is what you're calling each one of us as a family of God, as believers in a body, as in unity, as in one, Lord. God, and as we do that, we will see your church come alive. God, maybe we failed you. We've been failing you in these things. But Lord, you're still here. You've given us this word tonight to say, it's all right, I forgive you. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to move forward now. I'm going to put my spirit upon you and we're going to keep going. And God, you, you, you do that. That's the kind of Lord you are. God, you don't give up. You keep giving. Lord, you, you, you're so patient. Lord, your, your love is eternal. It's everlasting. It doesn't stop. God, you, you're, you're there for us. Even when we're unfaithful, you're still faithful, Lord. And thank you, God, that you're here right now. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone at the sound of my voice, maybe struggling, maybe cut to the heart, Lord, may, may feel so guilty, God, that they would just come to you and confess their sin, lay it at the cross, and be cleansed tonight. And that, God, that you would come and pick us all up, that you would stir all of us up, God, in our hearts. Lord, I, I don't care that there's only a few here tonight or a few online. Lord, I just want everyone here, everyone who's part of our church, even those who just come on Sundays, to get on fire for you, to become what we're reading here in the book of Acts, to experience, Lord, your power, to share in fellowship, to love and have a passion for you, to have a mind of missions. God, we want to be like these early Christians, these New Testament, Book of Acts Christians. God, here we are, Lord. Be faithful again and work in our lives like before. In Jesus' name, amen.